Welcome to all our listeners for the Highlander cast. This is the official podcast of the Seven Point Highlander format. I'm Sav, and the usual suspect is with me. It's Vance. Hey, everybody. And sadly, Millie is away for this episode, so I'm standing in for her role. But instead, we've got a very special guest. It's Angus Mackay. Hi, guys. How are you? As a bit of background, Angus is a keen Highlander player. He loves decks like Reanimator, and he is one of the most passionate people behind the CBR MTG YouTube channel. And we'll put a link to their content in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. But I'll just pass it over because everyone who's been listening knows all too much about myself and Vance. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Angus to just give us a little bit of a brief introduction and about a little bit about your background in Highlander. Of course. So uh, I've started Magic in, I don't know, not not very long ago, about 2015, because we just wanted a fun thing to do now that we were, you know, in the public service and we're all having a good time like that. But um, we jumped in and I just fell in love with it straight away. And my my first actual deck was a Highlander deck, which is really funny because um, Legacy was a little bit too powerful at the time and I'd never even given Modern a real go. So we jumped into Highlander, we all made our decks, and my first deck was Reanimator. So it was really, uh, sorry, 2013 was the date, so it was five years. But um, I jumped in and uh, I met uh, Lachlan Saunders, who's big in the community as well, uh, because I needed to borrow, <laughs> you know, 90% of the cards and for my first <laughs> tournament. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So I started off with a proxy deck. It looks uh, a lot different to how it looked now. But basically, um, one of the very few, one of the very first Oz Eternal posts on uh, ozeternal.com.au was uh, uh, Shane Shane's post about Reanimator in Highlander. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's great. And then I started to fiddle around with it and made some changes and. Um, uh sort of picked up picked up where he left off and now it's it's one of the most popular uh i would dare say one of the most popular archetypes in highlander at the moment uh not in regards to uh performance (laughs) because i feel (laughs) like it's uh it's right on the edge of um between tier one and tier two because it everyone loves to play it it's a perfect timmy deck but um, it's still yet to put up those real serious uh, results. So we, we love to see it it's constantly, you know, top top fouring, you know, very consistently. So, you know, it's yeah. uh, I, I see what you mean about that tier 1.5. You're just waiting for it to just take down that, you know, <laughs> major event and just everyone goes, yep, reanimate as a deck to beat. Maybe you don't want that, actually, because, <laughs> you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then uh, the graveyard hate gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the other thing we should mention is, is that tonight's episode is the Spooky Point Highlander episode. <laughs> yeah. um, when you listen to this, it'll be not actually Halloween, but approximately Halloween. So um, we had a listener suggest a while ago that we should do an episode with a graveyard theme, um, and we decided to save up the first one for this. So that's what you're getting tonight. Some the start I like of some how... graveyard uh, discussion. I like oh, yeah. how and you there's many said... and there's lots to talk about in regards to graveyards. So I'm sure there'll be no shortage right. of. Uh, episodes in the future yeah you're absolutely right uh and angus is obviously the perfect guest for graveyard themes so uh well how about we we i'll do my job as millie a lot better now and i'm going to get us back on track and <laughs> look it's already it's only, it's only been about five minutes in and uh I, i'm missing millie <laughs> but i'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to do great. it <laughs> so I'm going to get us to do our very first, first, uh, most important piece of business, which is what's the point? So uh, I'm going to throw our what's the point to Vance. What do we have to talk about here? So we're going to talk about this week, Demonic Tutor. Felt suitable for a sort of a Halloween theme. Demonic Tutor is a three-point card in Highlander. It's one of the cards which has, since there was a seven-point list, I'm pretty sure it's always been three points. I guess I should tell you the text for the rare person who might not know what it does uh so it's a black and one for a sorcery and you get to search your library for any card and put it in your hand so why is this three points well amongst other things it turns out that in singleton formats tutors are pretty good (laughs) demonic tutor is one of the most powerful cards in magic period like it's been restricted in vintage since there was a restricted list i'm pretty sure and it's an incredibly powerful card from the the very first set of magic but in a format like highlander in particular for a lot of combo decks you've only got one or two key pieces that set up your combo tutors make those decks way more consistent because they're already quite powerful like a deck like storm is a very powerful deck but it's not 
always super consistent because you've often got to cobble together your, your combo with uh, toothbrushes and string pretty much. An important thing to <laughs> sort of mention as well, just quickly diving in there, with Demonic Tutor, it's very, very, very rare that a, a card in this day and age will tell you to search your library for a card. No matter what the cost is, just a card. And that's why they always say, you know, reveal it to your opponent or whatever. And then you don't realize that actually Demonic Tutor gives you this extra benefit of the fact that you don't have to reveal it to anyone. So you're not giving away any uh, strategy that you're doing at all. The secret information can be huge. Yeah. I can't, I can't number the, the countless times that in Vintage I've gone Demonic Tutor against my control opponent. And they go, sure, I'll just let it resolve and I'll counter what you play. And I just find strip mine and strip their library or you know, <laughs> I, I find yeah. library and play the library and then just run away with the game. You know, like it's 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 funny how hidden information is so important. You hit on the other one of the other key things with um, Angus is that you can get just any card. So if you need sometimes even you need a basic land of your other color, it'll do that for you. I mean, that's not that's not a scenario you want to be in, but. Sometimes it's where the game's going. It can fetch strip mines and wastelands and ancestrals and everything. So mm. um, whereas pretty much all tutors printed these days, as you say, are restricted to cards of a certain color or certain converted mana costs. So, you know, something like Spellseeker, which we've talked about a bunch, is a quite powerful card. It's three mana and it only fetches things that cost two or less. Whereas, you know, sometimes late in the game, you do want to just go, I'm going to DT for some enormous monstrosity that's going to kill you. So... Yeah, that's that's why DT is three points and probably always will be. Well, well, well pointed as well, I think. I think it's a very fair pointing for that card. The right position, isn't it? So mm. we're going to turn our attention to the the beef of the episode today, and that is really talking about all of the spookiest graveyard strategies that we can think of. And uh, obviously the default position is that <laughs> our graveyard is it's a resource it's something that you know we like to use like an additional hand but i really want to bore down to the cool interactions that we have in highlander specifically because we could go on all about how good snapcaster mage is in you know legacy vintage all different formats but let's talk about highlander specific items or at least things that are good in highlander and what I might do first of all is, uh, since we're going to be talking about Reanimator and a little bit about, you know, on theme, we're talking about zombies. So, you know, black zombies that come back from the dead wearing a skull clamp and then come back from the dead wearing a skull clamp again and so on and so forth. Let's turn first to Angus and maybe you can tell us about uh, Highlander Reanimator and maybe even uh, drawing a bit of that discussion back on Demonic Tutor, which we talked about before. How about Vampiric Tutor? I've seen Vampiric Tutor pop up in Reanimator. How does that work? Yeah, so to quickly, I'll, I'll start with the V2 versus DT and then we'll sort of go into the basic structure. I did a, um, okay. I did a uh, seven minute, seven point Highlander deck tech for Sarv on Adelaide Eternal. So if you want to check that out, that's the World Gorge of Dragon variant. And then there's also the uh, Oath of Druids variant that I did on CBRMTG. That's youtube.com slash CBRMTG. So if we'll go into that, that's greatest detail. But uh, for, for this, um, I'll do just like a quick run over of what the deck is trying to do just for anyone for anyone who doesn't know because this is as I said before is the Timmy's form like this is the Timmy's deck because every Timmy wants to put a uh, giant creature onto the battlefield and Reanimator <laughs> does that the most effectively and they are the spookiest scariest creatures that you can put onto the battlefield so it works out quite well. So Reanimator starts with uh your package of reanimation spells and putting stuff in the bin. Now, there's different ways that you can make it, and you can make it where it's redundant reanimator, where you're playing all of the reanimation spells and all of the looting effects and like pretty light touch on blue, where you're like using blue for careful study and Dak Faden, but really you're trying to be like red black as much as possible because you're just trying to put a creature in the bin and reanimate it. And then when your opponent counters it or gets rid of it or whatever, you just do it again next turn. And um, these are all like medicals and things that you can do differently. But the variant that um, I've gone with now, or sort of the one that I've done for this meta, and this was like a heavy, this was a heavy Grixis control variant, but also uh, has sort of a backup plan against combo as well. So this, the variant that I'm using now is way up on counter spells and the long game. So cards 
when you're figuring out which way you want to play, which way you want to play Reanimator, it's a good sign to say like whether or not you're playing Search for Escanta and whether or not you're playing uh, Necromancy and uh, Sneak Attack. So nice. when you're playing, yeah, so there's a good there's a good sort of like basis of which way you want to go because Search for Escanta is a huge card for that deck because, you know, I mean, results-based thinking, obviously, but if you, like, once I you know, flipped a Jin Gitaxis, put it in the bin, and then drew um, Animate Dead for the turn, oh, so, so you know, sometimes <laughs> you could get lucky, but uh, for the most part, it's just about, like, um, going for that long game when you're trying to get four mana or three mana so you can, you know, tap your tap your Ascanta the Sunken Ruin, find your piece, and then go on like that. So that's, like, a little bit longer game and then you can back that up with counter spells and you with and this is a good thing and with uh combo decks um and you want to play counter spells you want to be playing the free the the zero mana ones the one mana ones and that's it you know you play um spell pierce days force of will i'm playing misdirection in mine as well which i found Sweet, is actually been pretty beneficial yeah it's a good card uh and then you're playing like swan song and these sorts of ones that um just means that you only have to hold up one mana and then the rest of the time you can just go off. So it really depends on your meta in general, but um, how you want to play Reanimator is kind of up to you. There's a lot of different ways to play it with even um, a list that I saw recently in Canberra that was playing just Grixis Control with Reanimate, Iona, and Grizzlebrand. And like, that was it, you know? So it's just like, yeah, it was like Splash Reanimator. <laughs> so with the counter spells, <laughs> it sounds like you're saying that you should play like the the sort of tempo end of the counter spell suite rather than the hard control end. Of course, yeah. So, except for, of course, the um, Force of Will and Misdirection, which uh, card disadvantage, of course, the important thing is that, you know, you put a Kozilek onto the battlefield and then your opponent's like, all right, great, well, I'll just, you know, I'll path it and then uh, I'll swords it. And then you say, well, mm. no, I'm going to misdirect it and send it at your Balfour Strix instead, you know. <laughs> There's lots of different options for how you can play it, but basically you just want to be able to you're still sitting on that spectrum of, you know, playing 25 lands or 24 lands or 23 lands and playing 18 lands like I'm playing now, which is like you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to be able to play the long game or not. And I'm still sort of like sitting in the um, sitting on the edge where I'm trying to get away with as much as I can yeah. with as low lands as possible. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a Highlander, right? Trying to get away with as much as you can. <laughs> you know, like how how can I, <laughs> you know, make this make this work and and be be a bit cheaty. And I really like how you touched on how flexible the archetype is. A lot of the time when people say reanimator or storm or you know mm. whatever one one particular particular name they kind of think you know in say modern terms where a deck list is pretty much you know 74 cards and it's this is the deck and yeah. you get one flex slot mm -hmm. and reanimator does not at all sound like that it seems like like there's a lot of uh, flexibility beyond just choosing what kind of fatty to reanimate yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh, the creature package is of course important but the um uh it really actually just, it first depends on how you want to play. So you go straight combo or straight control or some weird amalgamation of the middle, which is sort of mm. where I'm sitting. Um, or, and you can choose whether or not you want to play Oath of Druids or you want to play World Gorge of Dragon, because unfortunately they don't work together in uh, unison. Um, uh, and then, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just call a judge, is that, is that what you do in those situations? You're just like, uh, you a bad time. <laughs> how, how does this work again? <laughs> this, I know it doesn't work, but what happens? <laughs> it, it works the worst way. Yeah, so I, I really, I try, and honestly, listeners, I tried my very hardest to run both. <laughs> you, you just cannot, unfortunately, because um, yeah. like wheeling into Una and wheeling into... Um, uh, World Gorge Dragon is just like such a hosing and you, when you're playing the Oath Package, you play, you know, a lower set of creatures, but they're all super high impact, you know, like yeah. um, Jingataxius uh, Core Augur, which is a 10 mana uh, flash blue creature and it has, um, uh, you draw seven cards at the beginning of your end step and your opponent's maximum hand size is zero. That's actually probably the least impactful card in the deck. So it's like, oh. that's the sort of power <laughs> level that you're looking for, you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, one of the things with Reanimator is always that, I mean, as, as you touched on, there's a lot of choice about how many fatties you want to play, how many reanimates and how many enablers. Um, so there's a lot of balancing to do that I imagine can be done to uh, the player's per mm -hmm. preferred flavor. Mm. Yeah, I whenever I'm building a Highlander deck, uh, I actually look for 
uh, legacy ratios. So with with um, with Reanimator, uh, I couldn't do it with the red black variant because the red black variants uh, re- ratios are all over the place. It's like one third yeah. reanimation spells. Um, all lotus blue, petals and everything black, throws everything out. Yeah, yeah. The blue black mm. variant is a little bit better. So this is like. A uh, good point to touch on whenever you're making a deck that you're trying to port from a different format. Um, but you know, something to consider that I did with um, Reanimator was that you know I took the blue black Reanimator or the Grixis Reanimator in Legacy, and then you um, you say, all right, they have you know 50% counter spells and you know 50% cantrips, and uh, obviously not that amount, but <laughs> you know 30, 30, 30 or something like that. And then you just sort of work the best you can towards that because that's sort of like a tried and true method of what you want to draw off the top. You, you want to be in a position as much as you can where you go, cool, Frank Carsten has done the maths on this kind of deck. <laughs> yeah. And he's probably right. Let's screw with that as little as possible. Yeah, it's a little bit weird when you're talking about um, uh, Oath of Druids because it's kind of a different uh, deck in itself, but um, it's a, definitely a different beast. But uh it just it just gives you the opportunity to structure your points a little bit different, like um, uh, because Oath of Druids is one point. It's uh, it means that you don't have to play Snapcaster Mage anymore, so that's like a kind of pretty mm-hmm. easy split, um, pretty easy swap over. But uh, when you're playing Oath, like you just play less creatures um, because you're you're going to wheel into one, and you don't want to mill your whole graveyard, but you definitely want to um, keep keep. Uh, spinning your wheels so that you can find the correct creature at the correct time if you need to. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I like how you mention Wheel a lot because obviously Wheel of Fortune had been reduced to zero points mm-hmm. relatively recently. Yeah. And how have you found that? Just for the audience's uh, uh, reaction, because obviously they've all been trying to brew with Wheel too. Obviously it was a slam dunk into Reanimator, uh, but how does it all play out usually? It was a slam dunk and I had played it before before it was unpointed and I did test it pretty rigorously afterwards. And I think um, you just can't play with Emrakul in your deck. I really, I want, I want to be able to say that you can, and I want to be able to like live the dream of playing both Emrakul and Wheel. But a couple <laughs> of times I was just stranded with Emrakul in my deck. Cause like there's a couple of, there's a little bit of juggling that you have to do when you play Emrakul because your graveyard is, your graveyard is a resource and you have to manage that resource. So you have to know when it's time to put Emrakul in the bin to um, shuffle everything back into your library. But when your hand, and this is, you know, this has happened more than once where um, you had to either discard Emrakul or, you know, you go to hand size after you do a couple of cantrips and, you know, doing that sort of stuff. And then you realize that you have to discard an Emrakul. uh, You lose all the work that you did on your graveyard. If you're playing it, I highly recommend it being in the... um, in the World Gorger variant, I just don't think that you can play it in the Oath variant because I'm pretty sure that Oath needs Emrakul as well because you you do flip over so many cards with Oath that you need to be able to have that um that uh, that button to put it on yeah the reset button. So unfortunately, um, uh, it took a sidestep because I wanted to play Mission Briefing and Mission Briefing has been uh, and we're <laughs> we're actually talking about it in the chat right now, but uh, Mission Briefing has been far and away one of the best new cards that I've tested. And uh, that includes um, Wheel of Fortune. So it doesn't hurt that Wheel of Fortune is expensive now because mm. I'm like, oh, well, I won't be like convinced to go out and buy one because it's like going to be like a bit of a hassle. But um, it, uh, yeah, I think I think if you were playing uh, the less controlly variant and you're okay with dumping two or three counter spells so that you can wheel your deck again, mm. uh, sorry, you can use... Um, Wheel of Fortune to pick up a new hand. Like, uh, I feel like that variant sits in the balls to wall, balls to the wall reanimator with Chromox and Unmask and that sort of thing. Just as an aside on Wheel of Fortune, it feels so weird that that card is north of a hundred dollars for a revised one these days. Yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, hundred fifty bucks. And, and the funny I, I was... part is, we're going to be watching this you know people are going to listen to this episode you know five years down the track because we you know obviously highlander is going to be so popular in five years time that everyone's going to be playing it household name but uh you know people are going to listen to this episode and they're going to be like i remember the time when wheel of fortune was 150 dollars, and look they're saying it's expensive and yeah uh, so so the wheel of fortune i have in my highlander collection uh i got very early on when i was playing uh, i traded a jump for it (laughs) <laughs> sweet oh man has the person ever come back and asked for a trade back yet 
Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> was it an alpha jump? <laughs> no. No, they were both revised. Anyway, okay. um, did we actually end up talking about Vampiric Tutor? Uh, no, yeah. but I'd love to talk about it now. Yeah, that would be a great, great topic. So the the comparison between DT and DT and VT, obviously. Uh, so for the audience at home, whenever you're trawling through lists, you'll often find, especially newer Highlander players, you'll look at a deck list and you'll see Vampiric Tutor in it, and then you'll go look at the points list and you'll go Vampiric Tutor. That's that's three points, and why aren't you just playing Demonic Tutor? It's it's basically strictly better. Am I right? You know, you're just going to get the card into your hand, but no, that's not the case. Um, uh, maybe Angus, you can tell us more about that of course and this is something that i've actually put a lot of uh effort into into testing and stuff like that uh again when you're talking about like different types of reanimators you can do the you know talk about which one's better but basically your structures sit in you can pick dt or you can pick imperial seal or you can pick vampiric tutor and you can pick uh two of those and then one other thing if that's so if that's what you'd like to do but because i'm playing because i'm playing force of will as well uh i just wanted to take one but I found that after testing and testing and testing, Vampiric Tutor is actually just better because uh, the turn two is usually uh, where I'm attempting to go off. Like that's why I'm still like sitting on the edge between being balls to the wall combo and uh, control because I can't let go of the idea that I can turn two so easily because you have like turn one gamble, turn one entomb, turn one faithless looting, turn one uh, Vampiric Tutor. And then next turn, you have reanimate, exhume, animate dead, dance of the dead, that sort of thing, like or oath of jewels or whatever. But um, literally, just because it costs one mana, if it was one mana sorcery, I probably wouldn't play it. Um, but because of the fact that you can, you know, just do it in your opponent's end step, uh, it's very unlikely to get thought scoured off the top of your deck or something. <laughs> um, but uh, it has the secret alternate text as well of if your opponent thought seizes you, you can hide a card, and that's actually huge game. Imperial Seal's not as good, but sadly, still also is three points, kind of needs to be. But, uh, it's, it's still very good, yeah. It's still <laughs> very good. Yeah, um, <laughs> It does exactly what you want it to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Vampiric Tutor versus Demonic Tutor, it's a bit of a, which I think is sort of what you were saying, is it's a bit of a how far you are on the spectrum of being controlling. Because in a more controlling deck, the card disadvantage is kind of a pain. And once you get into the late game and you just want to find your finish, you don't really care that it's sorcery speed. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. But if your plan is to, you know, do something on turn two or turn three, Vampiric Tutor is really good at doing those. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's... putting Iona into play on turn two and having your opponent just go, well, I guess I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it, uh, it, has, it has really huge game against, um, uh, against Control as well because they're forced to counter it um, or you're just going to get the piece that you need. And because you actually, uh, with this deck as well, you're playing um, Bizarre Baghdad and uh, Brainstorm and uh, Mission Briefing as well, I suppose. But uh, these are like instant speed things that if you have a lot of mana, you can actually just do it in your turn anyway. Like it, it wasn't, um, it definitely wasn't the first time, you know, it definitely wasn't one time or exclusionary time that I was just... Uh, played Vampiric Tutor Sorcery Speed, put something on top of my deck, bizarred it into my hand, uh, you know, used Bizarre back to put it in my hand, in and then straight into the bin. Yeah, exactly. So um, being able to put stuff on top of your library is it's just like such a mild setback that it's definitely worth the, uh, the mana that you get for it. Much like with Demonic Tutor, it has the advantage over a bunch of tutors that you don't have to show them specifically what you're getting, and you can get... I mean, you can fetch your bazaar, which is sometimes exactly what you need. Mm. Um, and sometimes they won't counter it, and then you'll go, sweet, draw bazaar and play it, and they'll have a bit of a sad. <laughs> and, the real, and the real mind games is knowing that your opponent has a top deck manipulation on your side with a thought scour or something, and just doing the mind <laughs> games with them, like, ooh, did I put a, you know, did I put a Grizzle brand on top? Should you borrow <laughs> basic <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. It definitely sounds like uh, playing Reanimator is very uh, a lot of fun, a lot of variance, so that every game is not really going to play out exactly the same way. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's why you're not tired of it, right? Five years on and, and you're still jamming it. So, yeah, 100%. Anyway. And I'm constantly tweaking it and stuff, but uh, mm. it's, kind of, it's kind of my bay at this point, you know? <laughs> and, and it is a deck that, um, sitting on the other side of the table from it, it's terrifying. Like, every turn, you're like, okay, so I feel like I'm doing okay. You know, I'm 
playing an aggro deck and I'm beating them down and I can maybe kill them next turn, but they might also put Gristlebrand into play at any moment. Yeah, 100%. The, um, the aggro matchup, you actually lose a couple of percentage points against um, with the variant that I'm using uh, because you're trying to tune yourself more against control. So you're kind of like, you're, you're a worse control deck. And then when uh, aggro hits the table, it actually, your life total really has to be watched because I've been on like, uh, you know, I've been on 10 life uh, in my turn with a grizzle brand in the yard and a reanimate in my hand and going, hmm, <laughs> you know, just like, <laughs> is it worth going to two and letting my opponent untap so that I can play a, um, you know, and I've lost, I've lost with uh, Emrakul on the battlefield. I've lost with Iona on the battlefield. Like um, the aggro, aggro matchups uh, are scarier than you think as well, Vance. So <laughs> you, uh, you, um, we're both just scared of each other at that point. I definitely at uh, Highlander at Nationals had my Reanimator opponent. Uh, they cast Reanimate to put Iona into play, uh, and then I double bolted them in response, and they died. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hashtag yeah, aggro. The, uh, <laughs> the brain play uh, of uh, letting your opponent die to their own reanimate is um is it's tasty. It's a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> the maximum punishment. Uh, so so I think that since we are talking about graveyards here, and it is uh, when you're listening to this episode, it is probably going to be Halloween, even though we are uh, not situated in the United States, I think we should pay tribute to it and uh, read out a very key card in Magic's history called All Hallows' Eve. Oh, this card is great. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to read this word for word from the Legends text. And uh, this is a <laughs> two colorless double black, so four mana for a sorcery. Put two counters on this card, this sorcery. This is what I'm, I'm saying here. Remove mm -hmm. a counter during your upkeep. When you remove the last counter from All Hallows' Eve, call a judge because no one really knows what's happening to this sorcery with counters on it before Suspend <laughs> even existed. All players take all creatures from their graveyards and put them directly into play. Treat these creatures as though they were just summoned. You choose what order they come into play. Yeah. So... First of all, uh, congratulations to Christopher Rush for doing an awesome, iconic art in All Hallows' Eve with oh, a gorgeous. very spooky face right there. Mm. Um, spooky um, for this episode. Fun, yeah, sorry. Fun fact uh, as well. They changed. They eroded the. Um, they eroded the counters to be screen counters. So yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite parts of that card is that they come into play with two screen counters. <laughs> well, so these, these days it just, when you cast it and after you've finished casting it, it exiles itself with the scream counters on it and mm. you remove one in each upkeep. And then when you remove the last one, it doesn't cast itself again. It just puts itself in your graveyard and then it's text happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not understand. So, so what, what you're actually saying as well is, from a, from a flavor note is, you know how old cards, they're always worded really flavorfully. And then the new templating started to become a little bit boring. Mm. Is this a case where uh, when you read the Oracle text and you exile this with scream counters on <laughs> and then it screams on its way to the graveyard, it's actually more flavorful with the Oracle yeah. text. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> it, it's also a weird card because it was for quite a few years an enchantment. So <laughs> the rules, of, the rules right. of magic from about 2000, like when they went to... I think it's probably when they went to either the 5th or 6th edition rules. The rules manager is like, uh, this card just doesn't function at all. So I'm just going <laughs> to errata it so that it's an enchantment and it sits in play for two turns and takes counters off it because then I can basically make it work. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, when when uh, probably around Time Spiral when Suspend came out, they were, they're like, oh, no, we can just, you know, exile it and it'll just happen. And mm. we'll just pretend it works. Because um, <laughs> I suspect it technically might not, but, you know, it's close enough. Um, and then you've got card. the you choose what order they come into play, which basically never happens in Magic, right? Like nowadays, yeah. it's always very clean now where either if it's unknown information, it's both face down, then you flip them up. Or if it's known information, usually the active player does it. I'm, I'm not sure... I you know, I'm standing in for Millie, but I'm woefully inadequate as a judge. If things... So, yeah. so Go on. It's going to work the same way as cards like Living Death do, where all my creatures come into play, and if the order matters, I pick the order, and you pick the order for yours. Um, is is how it'll end up working. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's 
Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly now relevant in regards to just ETB triggers. So they don't really matter which order they come into play. They all just come into play at the same time, and that's particularly relevant in like the lands version of this. Uh, you know, of this situation where you play Scape Shift and all the all the lands enter at the same time. Uh, and they all see each other. Yeah, and they all see each other. And that's like, that's the new rules and that's all relevant now, but now it's just more like how are you going to stack your triggers? Yeah. You, you get rare corner cases where um, you've got dependent effects in the same layer, um, at which point, maybe actually they might have changed it so that that never matters, but it can very occasionally matter potentially, um, but basically never. Uh, and when in doubt, you can message at uh, Foxes for Sale <laughs> on, on Twitter with your uh, questions about layers and uh, creatures entering at the same time. She'll she'll oh. definitely thank us for that. Just message and just say just say like all Hallows Eve on stack. What do? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you'll probably get a just, concise answer. that says, "Don't ever message me again." Just just a picture of the card and a question mark, which should be fine. <laughs> well, you can send it to Fry. I'm sure he'd uh, also enjoy that. Yeah. Right, so, so. Uh, moving moving away from uh, unplayable cards into the uh, the playable region, uh, what what we've got up next is we've got about a dozen different categories of cards in Highland. But what uh, we did was uh, just went over all of the the top tier decks and just collated a bunch of graveyard relevant themes, uh, put them in or cards and put them into themes and. Each of these groupings probably has, you know, a power rating. You guys can probably give me a an off the top of your head rating for it, you know, from from one to infinity or one to, one to ten, and uh, with Snap Custom Age being a ten, I'm sure. And <laughs> what I'll do is, uh, is I'll mention it. I'll mention some of the iconic cards so that the audience can know what types of cards we're talking about, and maybe you guys can tell us, uh, you know, your previous experience with them. Uh, whether you like them or not, or whether it's, you know, next, move on to the next one. So let's start off with the boring one. So the boring one is treating your graveyard as a resource in fair decks. I'm sure there's an acronym for that. But Boo. basically, it's a, yeah, it is a boring <laughs> title for a boring group of cards. So here we go. We've got just a whole bunch of staples in every format. They're mm -hmm. really straightforward. They get you value from your graveyard, and they're basically just treating your graveyard as an extension of your hand. So Deathrite Shaman, Crucible of Worlds, Ramanat Excavator, Titania, uh, Knight of the Reliquary, Eternal Witness, Regrowth, Snap Custom Age, obviously, Colligan's <laughs> Command, Liliana the Last Hope, Jace Rin's Prodigy, Rise, Fall, Ill-Gotten Gains, and then we go into the territory of really weird, fringy cards. So what do you think of this very boring but very powerful grouping? I mean, it, it's a fairly broad group, but some of these cards are ludicrously powerful. Yeah, um, with Titania being on the watch list, well, the 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 watch the watch watch list where it could be on the watch <laughs> list in the near future. But yep. um, a ludicrous, yeah, absolutely what you said before, ludicrously powerful cards. These 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 uh, a bunch of these cards actually sit in two different decks. One of them being uh, four color pile. Uh, or Four Color Yidris, where you're playing um, Snapcast Mage, Colligan's Command, Liliana Last Hope, Jace. Uh, I don't think they play Jace VP, but uh, Rise Fall, like those sorts of cards where you're just trying to get like a two for one, you know, like you're trying to cast one card and get two cards out of it. Um, so, I mean, you can't really fault them. And that's, that's you know, a tier one deck. So you can't really fault them for uh, being able to try and get two for ones out of their cards. And then the second one, Death Row Charm and Crucible of Worlds, Renamap, Titania, Knight of the Reliquary, Eternal Witness. Um, not so much regrowth, but this is like, um, we got uh, a gentleman in a gentleman in Canberra by the name of Wes, and he is piloting Backyard Blitz, which is the... Um, which is the Gardening Australia variant? It's the just lands deck. Bad, bad, bad lands deck is what he calls it because it's um <laughs> takes Not out bad all the lands. Good... Bad no, lands. No, yeah, 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 bad lands. He takes out all the good cards and replaces them with creatures. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> he's uh, trying to go long with um uh, many Jamie Duries as possible. Is that is that what we're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's he's um he's playing the uh, the revolt creature that slips my mind. Um, is yeah, a yeah. Free drop uh revolt it's got a yeah it's got revolt uh, rallyer yeah. renegade rallyer renegade rallyer renegade rallyer yeah. there we go yeah he's playing renegade rallyer as a sort of centerpiece card but that's like that's another sort of fair strategy where you're like just playing abzan you know you're just playing like good creatures um mm. you know the best of the best and then you're trying to get that little incremental advantage with 
ran a map excavator and wasteland and uh you know fast bond and wasteland as well you know that sort of thing where you're recurring uh lands to try and stop your opponent from doing unfair things yeah, basically this is all all fair stuff you know fair fundamentally fair decks uh so this is pretty much you know 10 out of 10 right because you, fair decks are always a thing in highlander and all of these cards are staples in every other format right so yeah you know, I'm, yeah some of these cards are definitely 11s I mean, ill-gotten <laughs> yeah. gains. I feel is uh, yeah, the only sketch. non-fair card on this list. But uh, besides <laughs> that, I, 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 I mean, there, there need to be tens and elevens. I mean, ten out of ten because uh, they're doing where I think the evolution of all magic will end up being is just that, like, you know, very skill-intensive and very value-oriented. And this is like, um, you know, the the combo decks will come and go, but these are the ones where you're like two for oneing your opponent and leveraging your own skill level. So I think these decks and these cards are just going to be Tier 1 forever. Speaking of Tier 1 forever, the next category is just looking at raw numbers of cards in your graveyard. So they do different things like uh, give you a discount. So, for example, if you've got a raw number of cards, then Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise, Tassiga, Gurmag Angler, Hooting Mandrills, Logic Knot, Bedlam Reveler, and Grim Lavamancer all abuse the number of cards in the graveyard, making the thing di- uh, discounted um, or allowing it to power through uh, continually every turn. And then there's other cards uh, that also fit that theme, but they check the number of cards. So Tarmogoyf, Grim Flayer with Delirium, and Barbarian Ring and Cabal Ritual both have Threshold. So, uh, yeah, looking at numbers of cards in graveyards, what do you guys think? Uh, I like... Uh, sorry, I'll, uh, I'll go first. I mean, I think the, um, the, the, the band... <laughs> you know, the band and the points list speak for itself, where yep. Dig Through Time and Treasure <laughs> Cruise are just good cards. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. The kings, <laughs> kings and queens of the, uh, of the uh, stealing cards out of your graveyard format. But this is, like, where Control really shines or like tempo as well where you're like it's your graveyard is just like another you know another set another set of mana and you know a little bit um a little bit of extra resource that you're not actually paying for you know like you can pay for it with thought scour if uh and mental and that sort of thing if you really wanted to but the um the main part is like you're playing good spells and they're going into your graveyard and then you're buying them back with dig through time and you're playing fetch lands like so even in more aggressive decks like zoo you're going to have creatures who die, you're going to have fetch lands, so you might as well use things like Grim Lavamancer and Hooting Mandrels to take advantage of the what's left over. Um, or just like cards like Tamagoyf, which turn into giant beaters. Yeah, and when you're playing with both in your deck, aka four-color pile, as I mentioned before, that's, uh, that's actually its own balancing act where you actually have to think it through like oh man should i do i have to get rid of this sorcery because i need to cast a stick through time but then my tamagoyf is a three four you know like <laughs> it gets a bit <laughs> wackier sweet well let's uh move from the you know obvious king hitters because those those two categories are pretty straightforward to mm-hmm. some more you know niche engines here and this this is one that can and probably the same with all of these categories can deserve an entire episode to itself uh what about the loam engines the loam engine uses life from the loam punishing fire grove of the burn willows sometimes some some number of cycling lands wasteland or strip mine and mox diamond as an engine that will give you card advantage uh have you guys played with it much and uh, what are your experiences playing against it too i've played against it a bunch um i think the life from the loam engine is one fuels a number of the strongest decks in the format so um decks like lands which we've mentioned a couple of times where life from the loam either just means your opponent cast un- can't cast any more spells for the rest of the game because you're just wastelanding them constantly or it lets you dig to your whatever the rest of your engine is. So it might be Dark Depths or there's a, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, it's really powerful and we can definitely talk about it for a whole episode. Yeah. And also just for the audience, if you would like us to talk about any of these more, let us know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's no shortage of uh, episodes to be had, I'm sure. But oh, yeah. um, the, uh, the Loam... <laughs> The loam, the loam engine is it's part of it's part of my regular play group, and it is definitely a force to be reckoned with. I mean, just speaking to its power and legacy as well, being able to, it's kind of uncounterable because if you if your opponent counters it, then they waste it a card, and you don't really care because it's in your graveyard and you can judge it back. This is about as close as you can get to uh, completely relying on your graveyard with uh, without actually 
being able to not function without the graveyard, you know? Like, mm. it really benefits from the graveyard, being able to loam, 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 punishing fire, loam, 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 but um, uh, you don't have to cast loam for your game plan to work, you know? Yeah. And I mean, one of the... Um, there's a deck that I think is pretty underplayed at the moment and, and is quite powerful, which is uh, Jund Lands, which Chris Addy won Nationals with a couple of years ago, mm. where he, his loam engine is... He's got life from the loam, a couple of psychic lands, and wasteland, possibly strip mine, but in a, otherwise just a, a jun deck that wouldn't look out of place in modern. But it just gives you an extra angle of attack. So the control decks, you know, if they side in a bunch of creature removal, sometimes you'll just go, "Well, that's great," but I'm going to life from the loam you to death here. Yeah, um, it's very very powerful. It's a I think most of these categories are probably 10s, let's be fair. But this one is definitely... <laughs> hey, a, it uses uh, the graveyard as 10, you know. As soon as yeah. they, bring out their, they, they bring out Especially their... Especially on Halloween. Like, this is a zero. <laughs> My strategy is terrible now. <laughs> Speaking of uh, powerful strategies, obviously we have the reanimator strategy, which uh, hinges on things that were mentioned before and enablers like, you know, entomb and gamble and loot effects. So mm -hmm. uh, we can skip over this particular category. We know it's uh, obviously, you know... Uh, uh, 7 out of 10, just kidding, 10 out of 10. And uh, we're going to react a certain way when Angus is on the show, obviously. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. This the, is the uh, best one. This is the number 11. <laughs> we're speaking of not gambling. This one's actually a really, really consistent strategy and all about you know constant recursion. It's the black recursive creature strategy. So this uses cards like Bloodgast, Dreadwanderer, Bloodsoak Champion, and Gravecrawler, none of which can actually or, or very rarely can block. And uh, you know these interactions with Skull Clamp, Aggression, and the like allow you to put pressure on your opponent. And then there's also the uh, non-repeatable versions of the Black Recursive Creatures, like Garalf's Messenger and Murderous Redcap. Uh, Vance, you wanted to talk about this because you've been playing... Yeah, and it's a bit on here. theme for Halloween. Um, so Red Black Aggro is a deck that plays all of these. I was playing uh, Jund Aggro, which eh, arguably not as good, but a lot of fun. Um, I think it's secretly one of the best decks in the format. These creatures are... Quite hard to kill. Your opponent's got to use valuable, you know, swords to plowshares type resources to actually get rid of them. And they just give you a huge amount of ine inevitability in the late game. Um, so when your control opponent thinks they're stabilized, you're like, well, actually, I'm just going to put three of these creatures straight back into play. It's an incredibly powerful strategy. Um, they're all zombies, so you could play a zombie theme deck, although I would, you know, pretty strongly recommend against it. <laughs> oh, you got Gravecrawler. That's basically a zombie theme in there, right? You know, that, that works. Keys off zombies. <laughs> All you've got to have is enough zombies Stop to um, bring Gravecrawler back. But uh, you, if you look at this kind of deck, you'll look at building this kind of deck, you'll quickly discover that most of the best black slash black red creatures are already zombies. Uh, except for a handful like Bloodgast, which are, uh, it's probably a vampire or a vampire spirit or something stupid. But um, yeah. I think you're on yeah, point, Vampire <laughs> I think uh, I think one of the best things about these particular creatures is it actually makes red-black aggro pretty tier as well. Like, it's flown under the radar, I think, a little bit because, um, you know, the people who play it don't play very often in general. Like, I'm just talking about in Canberra, but I don't know how it is outside of it. But um, it actually, that recursion is actually key for the deck because it gives your deck a whole bunch of reach you know like you're actually doing something every turn whereas a lot of aggro decks you're like all right here's my hand you know if you think like um affinity or uh that sort of thing in um modern you just like spew your hand onto the battlefield and go well good luck hope it know. works yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's also one of the decks from the committee's point of view that is it's one of the two decks that we're most scared of with skull clamp at one um because Bloodgust and Gravecrawl and whatever, are obviously pretty ridiculous with Skull Clamp. You get to just pay one and put your Gravecrawl into play and then pay another one and draw two cards and then pay one and put your Gravecrawl back into play. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for people to do kind of broken things. Black Recursive Creatures, particularly when you're playing with uh, them in a, an aggressive deck that includes a lot of burn spells, very, very good. 
The well, we're on the creature theme. This one's a lot more fair. The green value creatures package. So you can get uh, creatures that produce value when they die, like Voice of Resurgence, Strangroot, Geist, and Kitchen Finks. Or you can get green creatures that can recur themselves in the graveyard, like Centaur Vine Crasher, Multani Yavimaya Elder, and Vengevine. What do you? What are your experiences with these cards? This is another one of those groups where it's not really like black red, the, the black creatures, you'd play them all in the same deck because they all do the, the same thing in the same way. These are the sorts of cards that you'd play in bits and pieces in various decks, um, but they're all quite powerful. A lot of them are very powerful. Like Voice of Resurgence is um, it's a really good in yeah. a lot of aggro mirrors. It's really good against a lot of control decks because you just get that card advantage, which can often be hard to get in your aggressive decks. Mm. Um, Kitchen Sink is obviously an all-format staple. All of these, uh, the three that you mentioned before, they're all just kind of one-card combos. You know, like, the combo isn't great, but, like, it's a one-card combo and it's just good value, you know? And people who are drawn to, like, nice, good value plays are you gaining incremental advantage over your opponent. And these are kind of, like, non-blue choices for that sort of theory. Um, it, yeah, works, it works really well for the green-white strategies obviously being able to just get that value where they can so switching from the fair side of things because we've just been talking about skull clamp the definition of a fair unfair card uh let's look at cards that you know border on you know allowing you to do something a little bit unfair so these are the flashback cards so you've got cards that give flashback to things and one of them is kess and kess pile is obviously one of the best decks in the format uh, and then Torrential Gear Hulk, obviously this is a powerful haymaker when it's flashing back Dig Through Time and, you know, Factual Fiction and the like. And these are all just mainstays of the format because they're really, really versatile. But how about the flashback cards that actually literally have the word flashback on them? Like Lingering Souls, Firebolt, Faithless Looting, Ancient Grudge, and, sketchy as it may be, Ray of Revelation. It's a while since I've seen a Firebolt, but that card is sweet to play. <laughs> um, these cards are all just really good value. Uh, Lingering Souls turns up in all sorts of decks. Ancient Grudge is probably one of the most common sideboard cards in the format. Mm. Um, none of them are broken or super powerful in and of themselves. Until your reanimator opponent, Faithless Lootings, and... and uh, yeah, like, <laughs> oh, no. Even then, <laughs> Faithless Looting is good, but it's not. Pay a mana, draw two, discard two. That's, that's a perfectly legitimate yeah. effect. When your opponent is um, uh, fa flashbacking Faithless Looting, you're probably fine. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just like, okay. It's a safety <laughs> valve, you know, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah th these are all just, you know, good fun, good clean fun sort of magic cards. You're like 7 out of 10 range kind of group. Yeah. Ray of Revelation actually being like uh, a sneaky um, sleeper cyborg card, I think. I have a feeling... Um, because I've I've been playing against it and I've been playing with it, uh, and it's very 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 strong. Like just if uh, basically if you're entombing, <laughs> it's a lot better. Like in the lands package when you can entomb Ray of Revelation, uh, or I mean this this I guess it's it's just the same as Ancient Grudge and Faithless Looting. But um, if you are able to you know bin it, it's basically free if you wanted to discard it with another draw discard effect and it's still just sitting in your graveyard ready to go. But if you're, if you're able to hit an important enchantment on your opponent's side and then hit another one, you know, because Ray of Revelation works twice, then you're kind of like putting your opponent's sideboard tech to, to, uh, to disgrace as well. Ray of Revelation is a really fun card. I remember in, this is not Highlander, this was in Standard back in the day, um, when it was first printed, um, we we innovated Ray of Revelation into the red green aggro decks with Wild Monk, and it turned the Astral Slide matchups from basically unwinnable to actually favoured. Um, and it's the sort of thing that a card like Ray of Revelation and Ancient Grudge can do because uh, you do get to get card advantage out of colours that you often struggle with that. Um, and as Angus mentioned, like. If you can destroy your opponents back to basics and then just have it sitting in the, your graveyard so that when they cast their Blood Moon, it's like, yeah, let's keep moving. Yeah. Um, it actually it, has yeah. play even when you don't play it. Like, sitting in the graveyard, people have to consider it. And that's, like, mm. that's worth its value in gold. Yeah, the, the power of flashback. Spe so speaking of flashback, let's go into the 
absolutely busted flashback group, which is consists of exactly two cards. One, Pass in Flames, and the other, Yorgmoth's Will. Now, obviously, outside of Storm, Yorgmoth's Will can't really be abused very easily, and it's really kind of a glorified one-point card. But in Storm, it's largely the reason why it's three points. And Storm treats their graveyard just like the second hand. And, you know, a pass in flames just sits there, ready to go when, you know, you go, okay, look, brain freeze myself. And I just, I'm just i just going to basically draw three cards every time I Storm because this is my second hand. Uh, so <laughs> this category is pretty terrifying. I assume it's a kind of a <laughs> 10 out of 10 move on. It's actually... Oh, sorry, I was just going to say it's actually... Um better than being in your hand because flashing back a lion's eye diamond is you know pretty clutch <laughs> pair of ludicrously unfair cards like a lot of these other graveyard cards we've talked about are i mean fair might be a tiny bit of a stretch but they're not unfair yogmas world's pretty unfair in most decks that are going to spend the points on it yeah it's, absolutely it's definitely the sort of card where you can be playing against storm and that you're like oh, i've got this every and they cast yogmas will and suddenly they're just you know, cast 15 spells and killed you. Yeah, 100%. So the, uh, this, this category is a single card. The card is Flash, so the category is called Flash. And it's all about when oh. going to the graveyard <laughs> is, <laughs> is the most important part. And that's where you have, you know, Academy and Arena Rectors, uh, Protean Hulk and Bitterheart Witch, obviously a card that <laughs> I've enjoyed quite a bit playing with and I've solely slapped into this list for personal preference. Bias, um, what this is the bias. <laughs> <laughs> I really want cruel reality and uh, overwhelming splendor. So, so uh, flash obviously is one of these cards that uh, you have to have a very specific sideboard card for things like uh, rest in peace and uh, the leyline, leyline of the void, are things that deny your flash ability um, or some kind of instant speed ability to exile, uh, you know, one of the rectors. But uh, protein Hulk is going to be a nightmare for you. So obviously, there's been quite a bit of history with protein Hulk and Flash in Highlander, and uh, we've touched on that in previous episodes, haven't we? Yeah, we talked about uh, Flash Hulk a bunch. Um, flash is an incredibly powerful card. Um, it's currently zero points. Um, there's certainly been discussion I've had with various people about the fact that eh, possibly that's not the best place for it to be. Because um, there's just a lot of quite powerful things you can do with it. Like, even if you're just doing something like um, relatively fair value flash and you're um, playing, uh, I've forgotten the name of the fatty that uh, it's got persistent, it destroys a thing. Uh, Woodfall uh, so Primus. Woodfall Primus. Primus, yeah. So you flash mm -hmm. in a Woodfall Primus and destroy two of your opponent's lands and get a 5 5. It's very bad times for your opponent. Um, but obviously, the most busted things you can do are Protean Hulk and then uh, Academy and Arena Rectors. Uh, there's actually a deck that um, some Canberra players have been innovating, which is playing Flash and Academy Rector to get Omniscience and then you know, kill your opponent somehow. Yeah, um, it's. Um... It's called, by the way, it's called Rippin' Roddy's Rib Shack, and I'd prefer if it was called <laughs> by its proper name. <laughs> yeah, that, that is entirely fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Rippin' Roddy's Rib Shack is a um, uh, omniscience rector. It, we called it um, when when Lockie was making it. We called it uh, controversial uh, controversial discussion tribal because it has tainted pact and it had spell seeker <laughs> <laughs> and it had flash in it and it was and it had wheel of fortune and so we're just like trying to put all those cards together in a pile and the pile that came out was um quite brilliant indeed like using sneak attack for um uh, arena rector and academy rector was just a thing of beauty yeah oh, so, so good yeah, flash, I, I do i do understand that card. Yeah, I do understand what you're saying about the uh, the points on Flash, or i.e. zero points, because when when I was playing uh, Get Rector, again, calling things by their real names, uh, which is, uh, you know, just a four-color mid-range deck that just happens to have both of the Rectors, Bitterheart Witch, and Flash in it, that package is zero points. So just for zero points, uh, you can do something, which, which is fun. <laughs> I do, I do, I do really like that people are still innovating, and they they're able to innovate because uh, some cards are depointed. Yes, yeah. Having flash at zero points enables that, which is nice. So let's talk about a couple of non-pointed cards. Uh, the second to last category is the lands that have an incidental sub theme. So we have buried ruin, 
Academy Ruins, and Volrath Stronghold. All of these allow you to return something from your graveyard, whether it's artifacts or creatures, whether it's to the top of your library or into your hand. Uh, it's just this thing that slots in into your land base, so actually has a very low cost. Have you guys played with these much before? I haven't played with Volrath Stronghold for a while, but um, I used to play with it a bit in a couple of random decks. It's just a very solid effect. And it can be incredibly annoying for your opponent if they've got no way to deal with it because they just can't kill that particular annoying creature often enough. And uh, hot tip, they can't uh, quite get it out of the graveyard either. <laughs> so, I mean, something that I've only tested mildly, but uh, it seemed it seemed fine, but uh, the land's base is already so greedy as it is playing the Volrath Stronghold didn't quite work. But being able to, like, blink your thing back on top of your library when Graveyard Hate was really uh, prominent was um was pretty cute. Uh, Academy Ruins is one that has seen a bunch of play over time. Um, it's very good with uh, cards like Intuition, which I think is in uh, the next category, where you can Intuition for... There's various Intuition or gifts packages you can have that include Academy Ruins, where your opponent is just giving you what you want no matter what they choose. Um, they can cost you more or less amounts of mana and time, but eventually you're going to get there. Yeah, I think um, just it also works really well in control decks uh, that have a couple of little bits, little bits and bobs. Like if you're playing Stoneblade, uh, you can play it to just like make sure that uh, Batter Skull just stays on the battlefield. You know, yeah. if it ever if it ever goes anywhere with um, you can put it back on top with Academy Ruins. So and you know, little like explosives. Oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah. The same feeling with uh, Bug Lands, where you've got Volrath Stronghold and you cast your Titania, they remove the Titania, then you just put it back on top and you just keep looping this Titania and they go, well, I have really no answer for this game one. So, yeah, and it's just, what's the cost? Uh, a single colourless producing land in the land base, which is sweet. So you did mention, Vance, about... <laughs> about uh, in uh, gifts ungiven and, and the like. So the last category we have is uh, something I've called getting the best of both worlds. So this is where you have cards that give you cards and put recursive stuff in the graveyard. So cards like Fact or Fiction, Thirst for Knowledge, Gifts Ungiven and Intuition. These are all something that give you, you know, one, the other or both at the same time. And examples include, you know, gifts packages that include uh, life from the loam and then a bunch of lands or other things that you could recur anyway, or uh, gifts packages that include exactly two cards, Unburial Rights and Grizzlebrand for those really slow reanimation alternatives, uh, contrary to what we are talking about before. So uh, the last two cards, Gifts Ungiven and Intuition, are both pointed cards. And because of that, they haven't really seen that much play, but they have historically been quite viable options as these kind of uber entomb cards. Uh, have you guys played with them much? I gave it a good red hot go in uh, World Gorge Dragon. It's um it's just great. Yeah. Gifts um gifts is actually super good in like an Esper control deck because if you wanted to play um like we have um I have a friend in our playgroup who plays uh Esper Gifts and it's just it's just straight gifts, and what you're getting each time is Unburial Rights and Elish Norna. Unburial Rights and Iona, because it says um, up to four cards, then your opponent chooses two cards, so it's essentially like a four-mana instant speed uh, double in Tomb, so it's pretty good value like that, but um, when you're just getting the pieces and you don't care which way they go, uh, Intuition gives Ungiven a super good package to have. That's a good combo-like package if you don't know what else to grab. Intuition is a card that was very briefly zero. So it had been a point for ages, and the committee at the time were like, ah, uh, I don't know, is anyone going to do anything that busted with it? Uh, and then it was unpointed, um, and not long after that, there was um, some mocks event in Melbourne. Um, and it turns out in Storm, if you've got Yogmos, Will, and Past in Flames in your deck, uh, Intuition's text is just win the game. <laughs> because you fetch those two and Lotus or whatever, and you're going to win so frequently that it's not funny. Um, and then at the next point upstate, it was back to one point. So That um, seems seems totally uh, reasonable. We don't, yeah. I don't ever want to see my opponent intuition for Black Lotus, York Moss Will, uh, Snapcaster. Yeah, Passing Flames. Yeah, Snapcaster is another one. Yeah, since it's a point. Um, 
yeah, that's uh, that's pretty scary. So uh, all of these categories that we've gone over, we've only really been able, been able to touch on for a couple of minutes each, but we can't really do justice to them in that amount of time. So for the audience, uh, we'd like you to tell us which one you find the most interesting or tell us the one that you'd like to hear more about. And we can dedicate a, a full on deep dive onto one of those categories uh, of your choice. And we'll just go by community consensus, whichever one is the most interesting. And uh, then we can actually do it some proper justice. I mean, that's uh, true for, for other episode topics as well. If if you've got an episode topic um, that you think, oh, I'd really like them to talk about X, um, particularly if you're one of our Patreons, you can come across um, to Patreon Island and have a chat with us there about uh, things you'd like an episode about. But there's endless topics we could talk about, um, and we'd rather talk about them in an order that's interesting to the people listening. Otherwise, we're just going to keep spamming you with uh, what we like talking about, which is really yeah, yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> <laughs> or, or evidently, all Hallow's Eve rules questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, we will probably do an episode at some point in the future about graveyard hate as well, because we did uh, dedicate this episode to graveyards. It would be really nasty to dedicate part of this episode to hate get it out of here we don't want to talk about that <laughs> i'm sure that i'm sure it'd be triggering for angus to see a you know a uh not nihil spell bomb or a rest in peace or something on the other side of the battlefield so let's just leave it at that yeah. and in the, in the perfect world and i actually have made it a um you know made it very clear that i will not play graveyard hate in my deck no matter what game i play because that's just rude and if you can't beat someone without playing with their graveyard, then maybe you should play a different game. Um, there's, just, there's just one of these I want to talk about briefly or encourage people to read, which is Frexian Furnace, um, which back in the day was... It and Tormund Script were the only graveyard hate cards that existed, pretty much, or the only ones that were remotely decent. Frexian Furnace is... Because it, it's like um, Scrabbling Claws or whatever has mm. been printed more recently... But it removes the bottom card of your opponent's graveyard. Hell game. yeah. And it's just such a pain for everyone because I mean, no one could ever reorder their libraries, <sighs> their, their graveyards. Because um, this is before sideboard. So if you're playing it, you had to have it main deck. And it was just a real annoyance for everybody. <laughs> uh, I um, I actually don't have to use graveyard order anymore, but I did because I was playing um, Shallow Grave, which says uh, the yeah. top the top creature card of your graveyard. And uh, when people were like, oh, make sure you keep your graveyard order, I'm like, actually, I have because <laughs> I have to. Uh, <laughs> so I, le I learned a lot about uh, how graveyards are structured. <laughs> made, it, made it a lot of fun. Wizards stopping printing cards that cared about graveyard order is one of the best decisions they've ever made because it's such a, like, it's such a, a pain. Because, yeah. you know, you, you want to look through your graveyard for something put it back and your opponent's like, oh, those two cards were in a different order. I'm calling a judge. <laughs> you're like, oh, oh, buddy. <laughs> oh, I like how you did the voice too. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking of, of voice, I have to do the uh, the bit, the outro bit. Uh, and uh, I, I'm not really going to do it the justice that Millie does. So I'm going to try my best. And I will say that this has been a very fun episode. Thank you very much to Angus for joining us on the episode. And if you have, yes, it is our pleasure, to be honest. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you haven't already followed us, please follow us on Twitter at HighlanderCast and shoot us any questions or feedback and we'll be able to answer you most directly there. Also, some of our cast are on Twitter and some, I mean, not me. Millie is at Foxes for Sale, so please uh, tweet her all of those questions about All Hallows Eve and uh, <laughs> don't tell her where you got them from promise well or, or who told you to do that because otherwise we're going to be <laughs> we're, we're not going to have a great episode this, 17 uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh no she's going to listen to it uh, we've been rumbled Vance is at Vance and Notions <laughs> and Angus is at dude underscore this guy one word if you'd like to get more involved in the 7 Point Highlander community go and check out ozeternal.com or search up 7 Point Highlander on Facebook and we also have a discord so check out the show notes for the link to the discord last of all if you want to support the show we obviously make everything free it is entirely free to listen to our lovely pleasant voices and incessant ramblings but 
we do take extra special care of our patrons on our patron island. So if you would like to be a financial supporter, you will get first dibs on all those questions. You can just, you know, chuck a dollar per episode or something like that. And in return, we reciprocate with extra rewards, including maybe some prize giveaways for patrons only. And I believe that brings me to the end of the outro. Ooh, so I would sorry. like to say... Sorry, Sav, we do have one last, last point, and that's... Nice. Uh, my own plug, of course. Um, I, I, f I forgot to do it at the very start, but uh, yes, yes, we uh, CBRMTG is a community-run organization. We do uh, content creators and players alike. Uh, we we started in Canberra, but we're spanned across um, the whole world. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, <laughs> we You can find us on Twitch. That's twitch.com slash CBRMTG. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash CBRMTG. You can find our website at www.cbrmtg.com. And we also have a Discord, but it's definitely not as good as the Australian 7-point Highlander Discord, so don't even ask. <laughs> I like the consistent branding. Consistent branding means we have to just remember CBRMTG. That's so, right. Google search it. You'll find us. <laughs> yes, I love it. So please check them out. We'll put them in the show notes below because uh, that was a lot of links and, and I can't even remember them now, but remember CBI MTG. <laughs> and I will say thank you very much to everyone listening and we are signing out now. This is Sav out. This is Angus out. Have a good weekend slash week slash Halloween, everybody. And also Dude. thank you to Craig, Craig bringing us this episode or bringing you this episode. So thanks, Craig, our recording bot. Thank yeah, you, let's, Craig. Let's hope it works. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this, it worked. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.